Ladies and gentlemen, the winner of the Iowa Caucus, Fritz. We did it. We came to Iowa and we won the caucus. I don't even know how we did it. You know, when I started this race, uh, I didn't even have a campaign. And we, we weren't even caucusing here. They just called me up and they said, hey, Fritz, you've won this thing. You need to come and you need to, you need to accept this now before Pete Booty Judge messes it up for everybody. Thank, thank you. It's you guys. You guys did this. I didn't do this. You did it. Just remember, you've made history tonight. You made this happen. You love freedom, and you're making this thing roll. So without further ado, let's get to this episode of FritzCast. And how are you all doing? Let's cut the crowd noise out now. Uh, let's, uh, a little too much. A little too much. A little too theatrical for today. Guys, it's Saturday, February 8th, 2020. And there is so much on the table to talk about right now. Uh, as you As you've heard... As you heard in the intro there, I have won the Iowa caucus. Of course, I am not eligible to run for president, and I have no idea how I won because I was not there uh, doing any caucus-like activities uh, at all. No, but uh, the the Iowa caucuses, uh, there, there's a lot that I want to talk about uh, revolving around specifically this, this go-around, 2020, the caucuses. Going back to 2016 a little bit because I was listening to my 2016 episodes that were the Iowa caucus, which had both Democrats and Republicans going at it, trying to find who was going to be the successor to Barack Obama. Now, what happened this what happened this past week with the Iowa caucuses has been probably the biggest political blunder uh, in quite some time. Uh, I can't even think. Uh, of a of a debacle of an election time debacle as bad as this i this this even surpasses i think uh where people stand with george w bush and al gore for real for real uh back in 2016 my episodes focused around the iowa caucuses and and really some bizarre practices that that take place uh at 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 caucuses um for, for one a lot of people, especially younger voters, are just learning now. A lot of them were in 2016 just learning, too. But now, especially, I guess, because each passing generation, there's more young people coming into play. There was lots of people learning what the whole caucus process was. Uh, talking about the caucuses, I'm always baffled that election season starts in Iowa. It kicks off in Iowa. It's always Iowa, and it's always the Iowa caucuses. It's always the first thing that happens in the K-12 
campaign season. And that's really what campaigning for the presidency of the United States is. It's like, it's a season. It's almost like a sport where everything's laid out over a course of months and there's key matchups. There's there's key battlegrounds. And Iowa held the... Iowa held, or holds rather, the predictive power of of oftentimes picking the likely nominees for for the parties lesser so for the GOP but it's up there for the Democrats somewhere in like 70% of the time the person that wins the Iowa caucuses ends up being the Democratic nominee uh, for the presidency of the United States and some people really don't like the setup of of that that it starts in Iowa it kicks off there and that this thing goes in in little spurts and waves across the nation as we're trying to pick candidates for the presidency not not the president itself candidates for the presidency I've never been to a caucus knowing what I know about caucuses I probably wouldn't want to go to a caucus uh, because the, the, these are like big pep rally things almost you you go to your district center, wherever that may be, uh, you get your card, you get your constituency card, kind of, and then um, there's areas that they have in place where that that represent the the nomin the nominees and the nominee that you want to pick, you go sit in their field. So some people don't like it because you have to put your face to who you're going to vote for. First preference, you know, that's how this works. You go, and your number one choice, whoever that person may be. Uh, for for example, people in the 2020 election so far, it's been heavily speculated that Joe Biden has the most steam and momentum and power and likelihood of beating Donald Trump. Joe Biden's turnout at the caucuses was uh, pathetic. And Joe Biden, I think, might have anticipated that and might have thought to himself that it's uh, it's not that big of a deal. It's not a worthy endeavor for him to lose sleep over or fight over. Other other analysts would suggest that that it is. That it is a very important uh, kickoff to a campaign and that it can make or break a campaign. And we'll be going over some of these results momentarily. Uh but, just in case you don't know the concept of of a caucus, it's like you're going to the building that you would go vote in. That's your district building. But everybody that's going, everybody that wants to participate goes there, has a card. You go stand in the section or sit in the section that they've leveled off for the candidate that you like. Then they have this first round voting, which it's not even voting, it's it's tallying of the numbers. Uh, they tally up how many people are with which delegate. And they do this to determine a candidate's viability. So, a lot of precincts, it varies from precinct to precinct. They have their own rules. They set their own rules. They kind of vote and establish... <coughs> excuse me. They kind of vote and establish those rules on their own. So, a lot of them, a baseline to go off of is is 15%. 
If they don't have 15% of the vote, they are not a viable candidate. Some of them are a little bit lower. Some of them are, at least, you know, they have to at least have 5% or whatever. They have to have a certain amount of support to be a viable candidate. They will tally up and see which candidates are viable. So if it was a, if it was a pool of seven candidates, maybe after they do the viability test, only four of them are viable. Meaning everybody else is out. Everybody's out of the picture. At that point, if you're if you're in the camp of one of the people who's not viable and out of the picture, you have a couple of options on your hand. You can say, F- screw this, I'm out, uh, because I like my guy, I'm going to support my guy, period, the end, so see it later, deuces. So you can leave. Uh, or you could say, alright, my guy's not in, so of the four that are left, I really like this person. So you go over to that person's camp and you say, hey, I was... Uh, for example, maybe I was a Joe Biden guy, but there was only five of us that were sitting in Joe Biden's camp, and he's not viable. So I'm coming over to the Pete Booty Judge camp, and I'd like to give you my card and be counted in Pete Booty Judge for the final tally. They'll allow that to go on for about 30 minutes or so, and then they'll tally up the final tally. And whoever has the final tally, the, the, the winner, it's not winner take us, takes all. That's something that uh, people confuse here. It's not winners take takes all. They actually split the delegates from the state proportionally, kind of. So somebody might walk away with more pledged delegates than somebody else. And there and ergo they win the state, but they don't it's not winner take all. Caucuses are very confusing, <laughs> by the way, because there's math involved in this stuff too, and not not real regular math. It's more like Andrew Yang. I'm wearing a hat that says math, math, that kind of math. There's a state delegate. Uh, you know what? Let's let's go over. It. Let's let's. I'll save it because uh, the, the Democrats uh, royally screwed up <laughs> the caucuses this year. So, mind you, people kind of... uh, There's this mixed feelings on caucuses as it is. Somebody like me... Like like I said, I don't think I would participate in a caucus. Because I don't like this idea of I'm going to go support this candidate and then they're not going to be viable. And then everybody that is viable is going to come and try to solicit me. Like, I'm not really into that. Uh, You know, it could be fun. could be annoying. Definitely time-consuming process for sure and I'm not sure I'm down with that imagine on a Monday night of all nights too so uh, like average Joe what gets off of work and then you have to go plow your way to a caucus site and get ready to spend two and a half or three hours there over this uh, silly process like it's kind of dumb Somebody like me, I argue against caucuses. I say, you know, a better way to choose nominees is is either, you know, the better way to choose nominees is either direct popular vote, which I don't like. I don't like direct popular vote because somebody can win by literally two people, and I don't think that's quote-unquote fair, so to speak. I believe that choosing nominees is far better suited under a, like, ranked-choice voting system. If we have 10, 12, 15 candidates 
wanting to seek the nomination of president. Why can't I go in there and rank them, you know, one through however many I want? I could I could rank them one through 15 if I want, if I think that 15 is a ridiculous amount and I can't, and I don't want to think past, you know, six or seven of them. I should be able to rank them one through seven. Uh, but really, moreover, I th- I like the idea of, of having it even more limited, like one through four or one through five. Imagine if we did it that way to select nominees. Imagine if the parties did that uh, to select their nominees. So you would have the first round voting. So everybody's first choice. Maybe maybe that's a split of you know thirty five percent and twenty percent or twenty five percent. You know, make up some numbers. 35%, 28%, uh, 32%, 28%. Break them all apart between the candidates, right? At that point, you're like, well, this guy only has 35% of, of support on, on the first choice ballot. You know, not a good option. So then we phase the second wave voting. You know, who who's your second most preference? Maybe the second vote preference for everybody ends up being like, you know, for example, let's just say the first round voting, Bernie Sanders had 32%, Pete Booty Judge had 30%, and Amy Klobuchar had, you know, 29%. Th- those are pretty those are pretty small gaps in between them, right? So, on the first round voting, we'd say that's too close um and it's not fair. Uh for representation purposes or what have you. So we'll go to second round. And in the second round voting, Pete Buttigieg soars up to like 67%. And maybe we have a threshold set that uh, we don't select a nominee or we don't award a nominee unless they get you know, 60% of the voters, 65 or 67% of the voters, 70% of the vote, whatever. Makes things a lot more interesting. You know what I mean? It's just different. Let's think outside the box because caucuses are dumb. All right? The caucuses are dumb. The caucuses are dumb. Iowa can go to hell. The caucuses are dumb. I think I'll flip this coin. I think I'll flip this coin. Hey, look, the guy I like won. The caucuses are dumb. Yeah, you know. They are. And, and I'll tell you why the caucuses are dumb. Because the Democrats royally screwed this one up. They screwed this one up because last year, in 2016, I keep saying last year, last election cycle in 2016, they used uh, cell phone apps to tally up the data, you know, and, and make things run a little faster and smoother. Those were, I forget what apps they were that they were using. Um, but the apps that they were using this time was uh, Shadow Inc. is what it was called. And that's kind of funny to me. Because if there's some if there's something that makes me think of a shady company, it would be Shadow Incorporated being involved in an election. You know? I'm just saying. That seems kind of idiotic. Uh, but it was this app. Uh, and I have several different sources here to report on this. I want to read from the LA Times first. Uh, because the LA Times has reported that this app let me let me back up real quick. The Iowa caucuses, the winner is usually known that night, all right, or Tuesday morning at the latest. Uh, 
as of me sitting down right now, it's Friday right now, 9.56 p.m., 10 p.m., just a couple of hours ago, um, they were finally at 100% reporting in. This this debacle has drug on for days. It's been turmoil and chaos because Trump got acquitted. Before getting acquitted, which everybody knew he was getting acquitted, but right, right directly before that, he had uh, a State of the Union address in which he pissed all over Democrats. I'll talk a little bit about that in a little bit. Um, but it was a strong showing for him, honestly, and his poll numbers are now among the highest they've ever been since his inauguration. So to say this has been a good week for Democrats, to say that there's a winner in Iowa, there's no winner in Iowa. There's losers, and it's the Democrats. Uh, This LA Times article states that, quote, in 2016, for the first time, precinct chairs used a smartphone app built by Microsoft to relay results to party headquarters, enabling faster reporting than communicating via telephone, how it's normally done. It's normally paper-tracked called in on telephone. This year, with the state party promising to disclose more granular data than in the past, the job of coding the app went to fledgling tech firm run by veterans of the Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign. Huh. Hillary Clinton and incompetence. Go figure. Further down in the article, it states... The firm behind the app, Shadow Inc., took responsibility in a series of tweets on Tuesday, quote, We sincerely regret the delay in reporting the results of last night's Iowa caucuses and the uncertainty it has caused to the candidates, their campaigns, and Democratic caucus goers. The underlying data and collection process via Shadow's mobile caucus app was sound and accurate, but our process to transmit the caucus results data generated via the app was not. In January 2019, Shadow Inc. was acquired by Acronym, a Democratic nonprofit founded in 2017, quote, to educate, inspire, register, and mobilize voters, according to their website. This article also reveals that uh, <clears throat> Acronym's founder and CEO is Tara McGowan, a, formal, a former journalist and digital producer with President Obama's 2012 presidential campaign. And Shadow's chief operating officer, James Hickey, also worked in engineering for Hillary Clinton's campaign. Uh, the article further down also states, quote, but there were other warning signs before the caucus Hinted at the problems ahead, said John Grennan, co-chairman of Iowa, Iowa's Paweshik County Democratic Party. The lack of opportunities to train on the app in advance did not bode well, he said. Quote, we were supposed to be getting invitations to use it. The invites would never arrive. A lot of people didn't even load the app because it's such a pain. On top of that... <clears throat> The Washington Examiner revealed that Pete Buttigieg's campaign paid Shadow Inc. I believe, yes, Shadow Inc. Pete Pete for America's campaign contributed money to the tech firm whose voting app contributed to reporting delays in the Iowa caucuses. According to the FEC, 
the Federal Election Commission's filings. Uh, Booty Judge's campaign gave tens of thousands of dollars to Shadow on July 23rd, 2019 for, quote, software rights and subscriptions. Shadow, a technology company that has an investor in the Democratic Digital Nonprofit Organization acronym, was also paid $60,000 over two installments by the Iowa Democratic Party to build an app to help make caucus voting easier and faster for precinct volunteers. Filings also reveal that Nevada Democratic Party paid Shadow $58,000 for, quote, website development. So, as we ran into snags in the Iowa caucus, so that they did not report anything on Tuesday, or on Monday night, into Tuesday morning. Nothing was reported because there was shenanigans. There was something up. And nobody, no, there was no, there was no victory declarations to be had. There was no grand uh, party for any campaigns to have uh, because no data was reported at all. Despite that, at uh, 12.24 a.m., shortly into Tuesday morning on February 4th, Pete Booty Judge took to Twitter and said, Iowa, you have shocked the nation. By all indications, we are going on to New Hampshire victorious. He also gave an acceptance-like speech, but so did Amy Klobuchar, so did Bernie Sanders, so did a bunch. They took opportunity of this darkness to try to jazz things up for their campaign. Uh, Pete Booty Judge outright made it sound like he won the damn thing, uh, which some people now question with his campaign having contributed a lot of money to it uh, and also it having ties to Hillary Clinton. On top of that, now that we have nearly uh, 100 precincts reporting in, and as of my last check, and I'll pull up the caucus results right now, just to make sure that I am up to date with this, as of right now, with 99% reporting in, updated at 4.09 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, uh... Pete Buttigieg is on top with 13 delegates, um, 26.2%. And Bernie Sanders sits at 12 delegates at 26.1%. Now, this has caused people to take to Twitter. uh, And people have taken to Twitter and said, Bernie won, Bernie won, Bernie won. But every, every website that I'm checking... Uh, every website I'm checking, everything I'm checking has Pete Booty Judge by that 0.1 percentage point, 26.2 percent to 26.1 percent. Uh, Pete Booty Judge has uh, the state delegate equivalents. He has 564 to Bernie Sanders, 562, and 13 pledge delegates uh, versus Sanders 12 pledge delegates because it's not winner take all. It is proportional distribution. Now this brought up things that were brought up in 2016. Um, at the caucuses, counties that uh, counties and precincts that have ties amongst delegates, uh, they do th- they do bizarre things. They flip coins. There's probably half a dozen videos online of them flipping coins to determine who got the delegate, who got the extra delegate. Um, and I think it was something like uh, Pete Buttigieg narrowed out uh, most of those winning the coin tosses. The coin tosses look weird. 
Um, I said this back in 2016. Uh, coin tosses in football are freaking disputed. You think it's not going to be disputed in what is supposed to be, quote, a democratic process. There's nothing democratic about this uh, at all, for real. Uh, because if you're gridlocked and it's tied, you have to put up and say either they get an even split of the delegates or or somebody's got to... Somebody's got to defect. Somebody's got to be a traitor to their organization. For somebody to have an edge, otherwise you're at a statistical tie. Uh, NBC News reported out uh, on the 6th that their review of the Iowa caucus vote found potential errors and inconsistencies Quote, the apparent mistakes spotted in at least dozens of the state's 1,711 precincts call into question the accuracy of the outcome of Iowa's first-in-the-nation caucus, which was held on Monday night. In some individual precincts, it may be possible to fix errors. In other precincts, it will be probably impossible to determine how voters truly made their choices. A quote from John Lipinski, the director of the elections unit, of NBC News, quote, when you have a tied result, even the smallest sort of inaccuracy could be consequential. If there was a lot of spread in this race, these errors would be insignificant, but when we're talking about a tied race, everyone wants to know that every number is correct. In close races, every number is consequential. Uh, Further down the article, it was reported that coding issues with this app, uh, which were being used by the precincts for the first time, is what caused this debacle. Uh, the uh, the decision desk quote said it determined at least 77 precincts or 4.5% where the total votes for what is known as uh, what is known as really uh, reallocated candidate preference is greater than the total votes for initial candidate preference a difference that makes no sense That's what I was talking about earlier. (coughs) The article states, quote, In the Iowa caucus system, the reallocated preference is based on the raw raw tally taken after the process of realignment. For instance, if a caucus goer's initial preferred candidate did not receive enough support to meet the precinct location's viability threshold, 15% in most cases, the caucus goer is allowed to shift their support or realign to another candidate who did attain Viability. Therefore, it doesn't make sense that the number of voters would increase during this process. If anything, it might decline, since caucus goers who initial, whose initial preference didn't make viability might simply choose to leave rather than sticking around and support another candidate. The article highlights an example. Um, <clears throat> in Des Moines, 62, and Polk County, the total of votes recorded for the initial preference was 784 total votes. But the total number of votes in the precinct on the reallocated preference increased to 841. It's unclear how to explain an increase between rounds because the initial preference is supposed to include the votes of everyone who is participating in the caucus. The initial preference should reflect the total turnout in the caucus. This article further states, Some of the discrepancies are a result of zero votes being reported for the initial preference. 
in the Des Moines 80 precinct, for example, there were zero total reported votes on the initial preference vote and 215 total votes on the reallocated preference vote. Because the precinct has no votes recorded for candidates in the initial preference round, it is impossible to know whether the reallocation was correctly done in the precinct. This is just more examples of how chaotic, unorganized, and undemocratic caucuses really are. Further in the article, quote, In precinct WDM 312 in Polk County, there were only 61 votes reported in the initial preference round, but there were 339 total votes reported in the reallocated preference. Then there's issues with the state delegate equivalents. Um, Iowa Democratic Caucus results, the article states, are not actual votes. Uh, the percentages received by candidates based on returns of the estimated number of state convention delegates won by each candidate through caucus process are known as state delegate equivalents. Quote, because of the 41 elected delegates that Iowa is sending to the DNC convention are elected by the state delegates selected by the Iowa caucus results, issues with the SDEs are potentially more consequential in terms of overall Democratic nomination for president. Under the rules, candidates should not receive SDEs if they have less than 15% of support in the reallocated preference vote. Despite that, the decision desk said it found at least 15 precincts where a candidate received SDEs despite being below the 15% threshold. NBC News has reached out to the Iowa Democratic Party about these potential errors and inconsistencies and has not received a response because Tom Perez was too busy saying that candidates could call for a re-canvas and, and all that jazz. And, you know, why? Why not? Because of the horrible organization of this stuff. Finally, a New York Times article found uh, errors and inconsistencies as well. Uh, their article subtext reads... The mistakes do not appear intentional, but they raise questions about whether there will be whether there will ever be a completely precise accounting. In their article, it says, quote, according to a New York Times analysis, more than 100 precincts reported results that were internally inconsistent, that were missing data, or that were not possible under the complex rules of the Iowa caucuses. In some cases, vote tallies do not add up. In others, precincts are showing allotting the wrong number of delegates to certain candidates. And in at least a few cases, the Iowa Democratic Party's reported results do not match those reported by the precincts. Some of these inconsistencies may prove to be innocuous, and they do not indicate an intentional effort to compromise or rig the result. There is no apparent bias in favor of the leaders Pete Buttigieg or Bernie Sanders, except for the fact that Buttigieg's campaign donated a lot of money to the app. But, you know, that that's not that's not here nor there for real. That if you want to get into some deep conspiracy shit, sure, but I I'm not I'm not on that bandwagon just yet. Quote, they show that the Iowa Democratic Party despite the long delays failed to validate all of the results fully before releasing them to the public. 
Uh, Mandy McClure, a spokeswoman, a spokeswoman for the Iowa Democratic Party, the IDP, uh, said the party reported the data as it provided, as provided to it by the precinct caucuses. Quote: <clears throat> The caucus math worksheet is the official report on caucus night to the IDP, and the IDP reports the results as delivered by the precinct chair. This form must be signed by the caucus chair and the caucus secretary and representatives from each campaign in the room who attest to its accuracy. Under the rules of the delegate selection process, delegates are awarded based off the record of results as provided by each precinct caucus chair. <clears throat> Do you know what brought to light these errors, though? Do you know why we know about these errors so clearly? This article states, quote, the errors are detectable are detectable because of changes to the way the Iowa Democratic Party reports its results put in place after the Sanders campaign criticized the caucus results in 2016. Among some of the inconsistencies that they found, uh, quote, viable candidates can't lose support on realignment, but there were mo more than 10 cases where a viable candidate lost vote share in the final alignment, even though that is precluded by the caucus rules. Quote, no new, vote, no new voters are permitted to join the caucus after the first alignment, but in the, at least 70 precincts, more than 4% of the total, there are more tabulated total votes on final alignment than there was on first alignment. Case in point, this is probably the worst blundering of, of this process ever. Hands down. Ever. And it's sad because Pete Buttigieg and Bernie Sanders are feuding back and forth over who actually won the, the, the caucus. At this point, you could say they're dead tied. Neither of them really won. Neither of them can take that momentum, so to speak, uh, as they move into New Hampshire. The, as we speak right now, the Democrats are debating right now, tonight. And then on Tuesday, New Hampshire primaries open up, uh, which isn't nearly as ridiculous as what we just went through with these caucuses. <clears throat> I think caucuses are going to be dead pretty soon. And if not, they should be. Uh, because it is confusing, jumbled up crap. It's not democratic. And as you can see, there are problems going on with them. Uh, and they've been going on with them. I mean, who wants to see a tie broken by a coin flip or drawing cards? Or, as I believe I suggested in 2016, a pie-eating contest. That uh, The pie-eating contest seems more competitive because actual delegates could, like, you know, vie for it if they wanted to. If they really want to, you really want, you know, Bernie Sanders to get that vote, get in there and eat the fucking pies. You know what I mean? After this happens, right... Donald Trump goes into a State of the Union address in which he virtually had a pep rally for his 2020 re-election campaign. Because, by the way, there was Republican Iowa caucuses because Joe Walsh and Bill Weld were trying to run, you know, principled campaigns against Donald Trump for the Republican. They got 300 votes each apart, and Donald Trump got 20,000. I don't know how they had a caucus, for real. I don't know why anybody would go... For, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I really don't. But, regardless, it happened. In Donald Trump's State of the Union, pretty much virtually everything that he did was to piss off Democrats. Um, from, from the moment he entered the room, a lot of people are saying he snubbed Na Nancy Pelosi in a handshake. I, you know, I don't know. I watched the footage a couple of times over. 
when Trump gets up to the podium, he hands Mike Pence his copy for his copy of the State of the Union address, which is the Senate copy, and then he hands Nancy Nancy Pelosi the House copy. And uh, he didn't shake Mike Pence's hand. Mike Pence didn't even reach his hand out. Nancy Pelosi reached her hand out. I don't know if Trump saw it and blew her off uh, because he wanted to, you know, piss in her Cheerios. I don't. I didn't read that deeply into it. A lot of people were like, "Ooh, that's that's very deeply symbolic." And Trump is uh, he he shunned Nancy Pelosi with that move, not giving her the uh, the handshake. Whatever, dude. Whatever. I, I you know. I, I don't even think it was intentional. I think he was up there, he handed them the speeches, and he immediately turned to the podium because he likes basking in the spotlight. That's what I think. That's what I think happened. I could be wrong, but, you know, say what you will. Uh, then he goes on to do things like uh, like award Rush Limbaugh the Presidential Medal of Freedom in the middle of the State of the Union address, which was just a big... That was a big slap in the face of Democrats. It was literally like a giant middle finger fuck you. That's what it was. And he did it, and he had Melania pin the medal around his neck uh, in the middle of his State of the Union speech. Uh, he he reunited a military family because he has to be theatrical. He gave a kid a scholarship uh, to a private school, stating that uh, no kid, no parent should have to send their kid to a failing government school, uh, which was another piss in the Democrats' Cheerios. <clears throat> and uh, and then finally, at the very end of this thing, wrapping up, Nancy Pelosi stands up as everybody's cheering, and she rips up her copy of the State of the Union address. Big whoop! People got upset about that. Stop being snowflakes. Who the fuck cares, really? I mean, who the hell? cares that Nancy Pelosi ripped it up they're fucking babies all of them all of them are goddamn children at this point just pissing in each other's Cheerios Trump used the Iowa caucus debacle did his 2020 pep rally for the State of the Union address I hate states I hate the State of the Union for everybody I hated them under Obama I hated them under Bush um that's as far as my extent with State of the Union goes, including Donald Trump, uh, because prior to George W. Bush, I was a little kid who didn't give a damn about politics like I do now. So I never watched the Bill Clinton State of the Union address. I could go back and watch it if I want to. They're on YouTube. Like, literally every freaking one is on there. <clears throat> but State of the Union addresses are literally a pomp and circumstance. Like, look at me, look at me, look at me. Stand up and clap, stand up and clap. This was no different uh, every time Trump finished a sentence, all the Republicans stood up and clapped and cheered loudly, you know, and it was just it was it's, it's kind of sickening to me. It's kind of like, dare I say, cult 45 MAGA ish like, uh, you know, it's sickening to me. Like, I don't care about that. I think the State of the Union address should either be given from the Oval Office, no audience, no pomp and circumstance, or just go back to what it was prior to 1913 and Woodrow Wilson. Before Woodrow Wilson said, I'm going to spice this up and uh, get a spotlight moment in the Senate and in the House and all that crap, and just have it be a written address that literally addresses the state of the nation. My God. To top it all off, the Senate acquits Donald Trump pretty much right along partisan lines 
The only exception being Mitt Romney, who everybody wants to cram shit down his throat for standing up against this. A lot of people, even libertarians, are like, oh, Mitt Romney is a stupid dubby head for doing that. I don't get libertarians doing that. I'm like, come on. Like, you should be more than fine with the fact that a president got impeached and was being investigated. That's part of being a limited government libertarian. I'm sorry. Uh, And then people want to say, oh, Mitt Romney's a traitor. He's a traitor. He's a traitor. Solidifying the GOP echo chamber of being all in for Trump. You can't speak out against Trump. If you speak out against Trump, you're not a Republican. You're not part of this team. You're a traitor. You're a loser. Um, Which is exactly what Trump has been calling Mitt Romney all his life. People also unfairly judge Mitt Romney for losing to Obama. A lot of people say, oh, well, we have Trump. This is the best one. We have Trump now because Mitt Romney failed against Obama in 2012. Go back and see what they did to Mitt Romney back in 2012. Bill Maher even admits that the left went too nuts in attacking people and vilifying them and making them out to be demons, including Mitt Romney. He says that they blatantly said Mitt Romney was like the evilest thing to walk the face of the earth and you would never want to vote for him against Obama and that it was wrong because now they have Donald Trump. So I don't put so much credence in this whole, oh, Mitt Romney's a stupid cook, you know. Mitt Romney stood up, and, and you know what? It takes balls to stand up when it's ride or die with MAGA and say, eh, I'm dying. I mean, I'm not going to I'm not gonna overplay it. I'm not going to say, what stunning bravery by Mitt Romney. He's, he's made. He's got money. It doesn't matter if he gets reelected. It doesn't, you know, none of that matters. So when it, in terms of sacrificing something, like he's set. He's not really in a danger. He wasn't in a danger to stand up. But it still took balls to stand up and to say to everybody else in there, you know what, you're all fucking around and playing a stupid game, and I'm not going to play it. Takes balls to do that. you know. So I don't think you can call him a coward. I think it was a little ballsy what he did. All right, and I'm not going to go out and say, let's go vote for Mitt Romney against Donald Trump now. I mean, you know, I'm not doing that. I don't even know who I'm voting for. It is what it is. It is what it is. And that is where we stand this week. I went through a freaking host of a lot of different topics there. Uh, but uh, that's going to cut it for me. I, I, I needed to get the rant out. I, I wanted to get this out now because the caucuses are dumb. And we really need to rethink uh, our voting structure here in the United States of America. Which is why, final note, which is why I don't understand why Bernie keeps going back to the DNC and keep rocking out on this platform. This is the time that you can smash it because people are starting to realize, you know what? The GOP is a cult of worshiping King Donald Trump. And if you go against it, you're not, you, you will be destroyed. And if you go with the Democrats, they don't want their elections to be firm, fair, and consistent. And uh, they're constantly trying to pull a game and make this thing wacky as shit and not let Bernie Sanders win. You know, do I have a problem with Bernie Sanders not winning? Eh, I don't. I'm not. I'll level with you. I'm not on your side for that stuff. Progressives, I'm not. I'm a libertarian. But... Fair is fair. And the Democratic National Committee, not being fair. 
not being fair. Guys, that's going to do it for me for this week. Catch me on Twitter at FritzQS, Facebook.com slash the FritzCast, FritzCastPodcast at gmail.com if you want to get in contact with me. And next week, next week, barring any setbacks, next week I am slotted to have a special presidential candidate guest on FritzCast. Stay tuned next week for the one and the only Adam Kokesh. That does it for me. Enjoy your week, guys, and I'll see you next week with presidential candidate Adam Kokesh for an interview. We're going to talk a little bit about his campaign and see what Adam Kokesh is all about. Love you guys, and I'll see you then.